back to the Clemson podcast. It is the week of December 7th. The Clemson Tigers are the number one team in the country for at least the next three weeks. And Deshaun Watson is the first Clemson player ever named as a Heisman Trophy finalist. Um, Before we get started here, a reminder to to subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. We'll be continuing the podcast throughout the year, albeit in a more limited capacity. Um, But we'll be discussing things, uh, continue to discuss football and recruiting, Tigers in the NFL, uh, basketball, baseball, and all other things Clemson. Um, It's also going to be our intent, um, now that we'll have a chance to take a breather with the football season coming to a close, to line up some interviews with other Clemson media, possibly current and or former players, and who knows, maybe even Dabo. (laughs) What do you think about that, Cody? You think we get Dabo on here? Absolutely, we can get Dabo. (laughs) What would you ask Dabo if, if, if he came on the show? I would I would ask him if he ever drops the f bomb like Jay Guillermo did a, an impression of him and just it, what, or what's his favorite curse word maybe yeah I would ask him for some uh, uh, tips on some dance moves uh, what's he or what he thinks about Clemsoning and then maybe we'd find out his favorite cuss word <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah good point <laughs> um, finally uh, a big thanks to the guys over at Shaking the Southland for partnering with us this year uh, we're not sure we add as much value as those guys but hopefully we provide you with some sort of entertainment and insight and really a take on Clemson athletics from our own personal viewpoint as fans that's really what we're aiming for here uh, we started this back up in April as a hobby and weren't sure if it'd take off but now we're at our 47th episode and our listeners continue to increase um, and again, we appreciate that. And that being said, we encourage everybody to go check out shakingthesouthland.com as those guys provide valuable insight and a more in-depth and technical look into Clemson athletics than you might find at other sites. And again, thanks to them for working with us. And uh, thanks to everyone who listens. So today we'll be talking about what's in the headlines regarding Clemson football, um, including Dabba winning the coach of the year, some recruiting news and coaching hires around college football, We'll also give our initial thoughts on the college football playoffs uh, before getting into some discussion on the Heisman Trophy presentation this Saturday. Finally, we'll wrap it up with some quick takes on various topics in college sports. But Cody, as always, uh, we're going to start off talking about our beer selection. I'm not really sure why we do this other than the fact that we like beer and we're hoping one day some some brewer decides to sponsor us and we don't have to pay for this stuff anymore. But uh, what you drinking? Yeah, I've got the Ballast Point Sculpin uh, Grapefruit, and it's... I was in South Carolina not too long ago. I had the Sculpin Habanera, which is the more like spicy uh, Sculpin IPA. Um, this one's definitely, it's got like this grapefruit aftertaste. We've definitely had it on the on the episode here before, but now that I know it's available on the East Coast, it's definitely, it's definitely recommended. Yeah, I'm really surprised you actually were able to find that on the East Coast. I didn't realize that uh, the Ballast Point made it that far, but... You know, again, they're from San Diego, guys. If you're ever there, you should go visit Ballast Point. Um, I've been struggling of late uh, here in the fall and now close to getting into winter um, as a lot of the uh, Christmas-themed or Oktoberfest-themed ales and other types of beers or ciders are starting uh, to make their rounds, and they just won't go away. I can't stand any of those beers, to be honest with you. Um, so I kind of can't wait for, uh, for spring to come again. We get uh, some of the more... Uh, citrus uh, themed or just lighter stuff but um, what I did find tonight is I got a new dogfish head beer that I haven't found before I love dogfish uh, head beers this one is called a uh, Pennsylvania tuxedo it's a looks like a uh, partnership between dogfish and Woolrich never heard of Woolrich 
but it's a pale ale brewed in uh, with or sorry brewed with Pennsylvania spruce tips, and so that's what I was tasting. I thought I tasted some rosemary in this, but maybe it's the spruce. But anyways, it's a very unique taste, and you know it's actually a very good beer, not something that I've had before. Uh, again, Dogfish Head, they make really good stuff. I'm sure you guys know that, but always on the lookout for new beers, and especially when we get into uh, partnerships between different breweries. Uh, I find that really intriguing. Okay, so let's get into the headlines here. Um, actually get to talking some sports and some football. Uh, first off, and I'm kind of really tired of hearing about it and talking about this, but Cody, you weren't on the last episode. Was it offsides? They were no. I don't think they were offsides. You were you were saying they could have been off, or th- there was a possibility like this, kind of like that NC State football or uh, the NC State game where the guy's foot was out of bounds. Um, I think it was for Clemson. Anyway, they, they were not offsides. And but I think, how, can, how can you tell that? Like because all the ESPN uh, anchors or talking heads will say that without it's without any really legitimate evidence to back it up. the The best view on the field was from that. Uh, side judge or whoever was standard, staring down whatever it is, the 35-yard line. So from the camera angle, when you do the geometry, how, how can you tell that any, some part of his body wasn't offsides? I, I don't know, but I, it was, I, ultimately I think it was a bad call from what I could see, the angle that I saw. Um, again, it, this has kind of been beat to death. The, the main thing here is like I think people have shown that they, they were there wasn't a legal formation there uh, where there I think four guys um, on um, inside of the I think what's it called the nine yard mark well yeah there was a, there was at least one guy outside of that nine yard mark and again that's some of the rules somebody else brought up and the thing that gets me here I don't, I don't even care if they were wrong on the offsides call because there was at least one other thing that they missed and that was the targeting call and I also don't care because this is North Carolina and for anybody to claim somebody of of getting screwed. I mean, it's, you know, UNC cheat as people like to call them or not the team to be doing it. Um, but we've seen the, the argument about the illegal formation. That's with the guy outside the nine yard mark. And then of course the targeting. And then somebody brought it up today. I saw is that of the two kickers they had out there, one guy declared as the kicker and the other guy actually kicked the ball. Now I don't know the rules surrounding that, but this person seemed to think that maybe that wasn't legal. So what it really comes down to is the ACC needs to do a better job of getting out there and explaining what exactly happened to shut everybody up. Even if they admit that the official got the wrong call, whatever, we'll move on from that. But the, the fact that the the waters are so muddy with this, I mean, it just shows poor leadership. It's another example, poor leadership from John Swafford and the ACC. And don't talk to me about conspiracy theories, theories to get Clemson in, because what nobody fails, everybody fails to mention is that John Swafford is a UNC grad. Well, I'll, I, you know, conspiracy theories aside, I'll say the, the game was well um, officiated. And bottom line is they, they would have had to secure the ball, go back, uh, score a touchdown on our defense, and then and and a two-point two conversion. conversion. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not shedding any tears for them. Uh, John Wofford, UNC, yeah, I certainly shed no tears for that fan base either. Well, hopefully this is the last we hear of it. Uh, this is certainly not something to taint our win, uh, you know, regardless of what other people in the media may try to tell you or what North Carolina fans may try to tell you. Because uh, at the end of the day, we were clearly the much better team than them. The only reason it was that close was because of our own errors, not because they were any close to our talent level. 
So moving on to uh, brighter subjects, hey, Dabo Swinney, uh, named College Football Coach of the Year on top of being named the ACC Coach of the Year by the press and the coaches. How do you feel about that, Cody? I think it's great. It's well-deserved. I'll you know give a shout-out to Nick Tolley because he was wanting to talk about Coach of the Year at the beginning of the season, saying this is the year that Dabo is going to win it. And I was like, that's not interesting. He probably won't win it. There's like not a good scenario in which he could win it. Um, but, you know, if you think about going into the beginning of the season, we were right at like rank 13. I don't think anyone really gave us a chance to be a top four team, much less the number one overall. Um, and then on top of that, we were an amazing defense that um, this year, top 10, that just lost nine starters. No one ever loses nine starters on any side of the ball and then comes back um, and fills this type, this type of, a, of a team, not just on defense, but all together, talking about a, a number one overall team. So an absolute, yeah, tremendous job by, by Dabo Sweeney this year. It's very well-deserved. Uh, Brent Venables definitely gets some of that credit, along with Tony Elliott, uh, Jeff Scott. But all together, man, he's been doing it for a long time, long time coming. It's good that he gets recognition. So let me ask you this, because we've seen this. Uh, this is also Dabo's first ACC Coach of the Year, which blows my mind, considering who he has to go up against. You're talking about Paul Johnson has won it three times. David Cutcliffe has won it a couple times, although I do understand that because of where Duke came from and what they used to be before he got there. But still, Duke's ceiling is limited. Uh, Paul Johnson runs a gimmick offense, and he has really taken that program nowhere. They plateaued. Um, you know, Mike London of Virginia is one of he's gone now. Ralph Friesian at Maryland in Dabo's time, he's gone now. Uh, well, the, the trend there is these under these teams that are coming from that are typically underperforming, and they a, a coach lists them up, and they you know maybe they're a top twenty five team. Yeah, but but at the same amount of time, Dabo sh- was probably should have won at one of those times. But you know, in my book, he gets coach of the decade, even though he's only been around since '08 uh, as coach in the ACC, just because of where he's taken a program. Because you look at those other ACC coaches and what they've developed at their program. Again, Georgia Tech has plateaued. Duke is only going to go so high. The other guys aren't even coaching anymore or aren't head coaches anymore. And look what Dabo has done. Uh, so he clearly is head and shoulders. I mean, I, I call him now probably the best coach in the ACC. I, I that's I would probably probably agree. Um, I think Jimbo Fisher. I think anybody could do a, a, a top ten, top fifteen job with that type of well, recruiting look, talent. Well, look at what Jimbo Fisher had coming into that job. I mean, he had facilities and talent was always going to Florida State. It wasn't that hard to take over that program. Uh, Dabo took over a chronic underachieving team that was at best above average and turned it into a great uh boarding on a very elite team yeah well i think that's what he's done and he's done it so methodically it's taken it, it, the progression i don't want to say it's been slow but you know what's it's seven years and every year what he's done for the most part he's gotten a little bit better and when you when you don't you know stick in someone's face the way that you know david cutcliffe you know kind of have an outlier of a year uh, you know, bringing Duke through, um, you know, over um, exceeding expectations. But when you do it in like these small steps that Dabo's done, people aren't going to really notice. Finally, you know, you, you get to that that top four, number one overall, taking that extra step to get through that elite. That's when people tar- start to take notice. And I always say this, it's it's a lot harder to get from uh, to get from 10 to one in terms of like number 10 ranking to number one than it is from like a, getting a top 25. Like to get 25 top, down to 10. Exactly. When you get into that elite, it becomes a lot tougher to move up. 
so let me get back to the question that I was going to ask here, and I was kind of leading you into that. Um, and we saw this with David Cutcliffe. Like, Dabba would have a great year, but everybody would be like, oh, but everybody expects Clemson to be good because they're one of the two best teams in the ACC. But Duke, where did they come from? Nobody expected that at Duke. Had Iowa gone undefeated this year, beat Michigan State, and won the Big Ten title, do you think – I don't even know who their coach is. Do you <laughs> think that coach – might have beat Dabo out for national coach of the year just because everybody expected Clemson to be that's a good close question. to where they are. Well, that's a good question. I, and I think from what I've read, I think he was considered the front runner. So I think winning that Big Ten championship game would have all but you know sealed the deal for him winning national coach of the year. And then again, it goes right back to did your where did your team start off? Did they outperform that ranking by how much? And if you're when you start off pretty high, it's hard to move up much further. Yeah, so, well, you know, what it comes down to is congratulations to Dabo. Um, we've talked about this all the time. He not only represents uh, the school well and our players, but he's, just, he's, he's an all-around good guy. I think he represents college football well, and players love to play for him. And the culture and the program that he's building is Clemson. It's, it's, it's really a special thing, and we have a lot to look forward to, and I, I just, at this point, hope he stays forever. Can I, can I, say, can I pat myself <laughs> on the back? It's easy to say right now, though. While we're patting Dab on the back, let me pat myself on the back because I remember from back in like 2011 when people were, were like, I'm, I'm over this guy. He's just a, he's a, he's a cheerleader. He's not a coach. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's a good assistant. He's not a head coach. A lot of that was going around in Clemson. I was saying this guy is amazing. I love his enthusiasm. I was on TigerNet on the boards just talking trash to people that were, that were downing Dabo. And, you know, four years later, those same people, nowhere to be found. Yeah, well, 50% of the people on TigerNet are patting themselves on the back right now, and the other 50% are claiming that they, they claimed that at the time. So I thought you were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> we'll talk about that off air. Um, so anyways, again, congratulations uh, to, to Dabo. Um, what he's done with this program is phenomenal, and it's, you know, sky's the limit from here on out. Uh, so let's get down. Let's talk about the players here. Um, you know, starting this time of year, you start to hear about guys uh, declaring for the NFL. Uh, so far, we have a, a few other guys that we'll talk about, but Shaq Lawson has decided he's going to turn pro. No big surprise here, right? Not at all. It would have been only a surprise if he didn't turn pro. I think he's ready. He's going to get that number one uh, or first round draft grade. He deserves it. He's had a heck of a year. It's, it's four years after high school, too. You know, he played that one year at um, Hargrave Military Academy. He's ready. He's good. He's, he, and I think, you know, he talked about his family before the year, you know, wanting to do the best by them. And I think, I think it's time. And when everyone says, oh, come back, get your degree, get your degree, well, you know what? He'll, have, he'll, be able to, he'll still be able to come back, get his degree, he'll have, but he'll be a millionaire when he does it. Yeah, and that happens with a lot of Clemson guys. I mean, Dabo graduates most of his players, so why would we expect anything different here? I think he's totally deserved this. I mean, he's done as much as he can in college football. He led the, the college football in tackles for loss this year. And I think we all expected this coming into the season. It would have been a disappointment if he didn't play well enough to leave after this year. So, you know, congratulations to, to Shaq Lawson for all he's done. Uh, we mentioned this in a Facebook post. Big guy, give us two more games, and then good luck in the NFL. We're wishing you the best. Um, and, you know, we, we have other guys that will step into his place. Absolutely. And, I, I mean, we do have other guys there. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't I don't think we're gonna have a Shaq Lawson next year. That does concern me. But it was good this year to see Austin Bryan in there. Still a little bit. Uh, he looks like a freshman a little bit, but his, he's got the body of a guy that could be the next big thing at Clemson. Uh, and then we got the recruits coming uh, coming down the pike. 
it, it does look good. And it, at the very least, it was good to get. Obviously, Kevin Dodd looks like a he, he's really going to hold it down there on the on the strong side. And I think we'll have some options there at weak side. Yeah. So again, I mean, this is a defense that you know for the guys that need to replace, they're really reloading going into next year. Nobody thought we could do it this year, uh, and we did. I think we're going to do it again next year. I mean, there's a solid foundation of defensive guys, especially Brent Venables at the helm. All these uh, coaching vacancies have come and gone. No peep of him uh, taking a coaching job, so we fully expect him to be back next year. Let's talk about some of the other guys, uh, though. Uh, Wayne Gallman's actually in his third year out of high school, and he had you know a pretty phenomenal year. Uh, any expectation that he might turn pro? Personally, I don't think so. I, I don't think there's a chance. I don't think his name is even talked about very, probably very often within NFL uh, circles. Running back's a tough position, right? It's a, it's a tough position. He's not. I don't think. I said at the beginning of the year, he doesn't do any one thing really well, and that would wow an NFL scout. He's kind of like the, um, I, I compare like the Shane Battier of, of a college football player. He, he's really good. He's he's made to do really well in on the college level. I don't know if that necessarily translates to the NFL. Well, Shane Battier did okay in the NBA. He did no. He did okay. I think I think Wayne Gallman could do okay, maybe in the NFL. But uh, you know, what I mean, not not the star player potential. There is a crop of running backs uh, this year and beyond um, that you know are definitely going to steal the thunder. Maybe, you know, maybe next year he goes. I wouldn't be maybe so surprised. He's taken he's taken a lot of hits. You can only go so long as a running back. So maybe that would make sense. Um, maybe he gets like a third or fourth round, third or fourth round you know draft grade. Maybe he goes in, but I, I don't see it now. And Jordan Leggett. We talked about this coming of the year. I mean, he finally showed up this year and, and played like we thought he could. What do you think happens to Jordan Leggett? I can see him going. I, I can see it being kind of like a Jamie Harper type of situation. Yeah, he could come back and definitely solidify himself into a top round selection. I think if he goes now, he's not, he's not a top one or two round. Not a chance, but... He's not the game-changing tight end like Gronk, somebody like that. No. He, well, he's not, he's not even close to Dwayne Allen, in my opinion, but... Well, you know, he's sort of close to Dwayne Allen, but it, I think he could use one more year, show that he's fully matured, that he, you know, maybe do a little bit block. better in blocking. Yeah, yeah exactly. And he, that's one he has of the, improved the, there. He has improved. Yeah, but that's one of the things that the NFL is going to look at. It's not just receiving as a tight end. You need to be. You need to do everything well that is required of a tight end. Um, They're also going to dig in deep on Lazy Leggett. They they will they'll look they'll I'll talk to your friends they'll talk to your family members to understand your personality your background you know how you how you acted in high school they'll ask about Lazy Leggett and that's going to be a red flag for him. Well, I mean, to his credit, at least he admitted that, and you know, not to knock the guy, he's he's been amazing this year. He's been dependable and solid, especially on third downs, um, and in the red zone. So. I mean, listen, all this to say, we hope he comes back next year. We, I, want, we want him back. I, no, I agree. We want him back. And, like, I usually am the guy that says they should go versus they should stay. I think he has more reasons, in this case, to come back than, than to go. How about McKenzie Alexander? He's the one guy I didn't think – I thought he was kind of like in that same boat as Shaq Lawson. He's definitely going to go. He, start, he serves uh, – there, there could be a reason he could come back, too. It would make sense. I think he's definitely fallen out of first round uh, classification. There's a really good, really good crop of cornerbacks too, and he's going to fall behind him. He's been a little bit injured, maybe a little bit tired at the end of the year. There's some tape on him, in my opinion, where it looks like he's lost a step. I think he, it would make more sense for him to come back, get that degree, and then go in and solidify that first round uh, status. So talk about being tired. That kind of rolls us right into J. Ron Curse because we talked about him early on, him looking like a beast, and him possibly going this year. 
Uh, but again, we talked about the defense being tired, but so in the NFL, you're playing more games. I mean, you're playing 16 games in the regular season. You still get that one bye week. So you're going to have to get conditioned. And plus, you're playing against much more physical uh, guys. So you you think you're tired in the college football regular season? How that's gonna how is that gonna play on the NFL? That's a great point, and it goes to show what type of a, a toll that the, this game takes on you, especially at that higher level. Talk about Curse though. I, there's a lot of film on him now that that scouts can really pick apart. Some good, um, some bad. I'll say this though: he'll get, he'll get he'll get into the combine. You'll see his measurables. He'll blow. He'll make scouts drool. With his his wingspan, his athletic ability, He'll, he probably runs a sub four five. Um, probably got a crazy vertical. Uh, they'll they'll start drooling, and you know all of a sudden that film will mean a lot less. Now to be fair to him and Mac and the and the defense in the NFL, you're going to have much more depth than we have across our defense right now. To be able to spell guys more, um, to get them through the season uh, a little bit more rested. Uh, but I totally agree with you. I mean, that Ole he had on Switzer, that's going to be used against him. Now, let's see what happens, though, with this time off uh, going into the bowl game. I mean, these guys could come back fresh and prepared and just look like they did at the beginning of the season and just take, you know, a team like Oklahoma to the woodshed and whoever we play after that, and that could change the perception of everything. Uh, so, I mean, really, well, the moral of the story is we're at the, we could possibly have two more games, and those are going to be two more games against elite teams or at least very, very good teams. So that could go a long way to making this decision for them. Shaq Lawson, I think, is a no-brainer. A couple of these guys, like Mack and Curse especially, I think these two games could go a long way to helping them make that decision. I agree. I think it'll help the scouts kind of crystallize or formulate their opinion. And then, honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing if if these juniors are – if what's motivating them a little bit is beyond just winning a championship, it's it's also how how big of a millionaire they can be um, once it's all said and done. I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's good. It gives them a little added motivation to get up early, work out, get going, get prepared, get the body right. Listen, I'm never going to fault a guy for that going and making his money because I, I don't know what it's like, and I'll never know what it's like <laughs> to be offered millions and millions of dollars. So to be put in that situation, um, yeah, again, I can't put myself in their shoes, so how can I speak to that? All I can speak to is uh, what they, what I think, how they, I, I think they'll fare in the NFL right now. And looking at you know Leggett and Mac and Curse, I Mac I think out of the three of those, uh, probably the most likely to succeed at this point um, from the play that I see on the field uh, as a kind of a physical imposing guy. J. Ron Curse, I can see him lasting a long time. And speaking of our guys uh, returning next year, Mike Williams, good news. He's returning for his senior year. Man, where does that put us? He's going to join our Davis Scott, Jermon Hopper, Deion Kane, Ray Ray McLeod, Deion Thompson, Hunter Renfro, Renfro, Shadell Bell, TJ Chase, and possibly DeAndre Overton. Yeah, did you mention Cornell Powell? The no. Other, well, it doesn't no. matter. Well, the, the one name you did forget to mention is he's joining – Deshaun Watson, and that's that's the most dangerous one-two combination in, in the nation next do you, year. Do you think, I mean, aside from the fact he didn't play this year, he was obviously ranked very high. Everybody thought he would leave after this year. He played a full season. But do you think that goes weighs heavily into him making his decision to come back as he wants that one full year with Deshaun Watson and the possibility to win a national championship? I, I think he probably feels really bad that he's missing out. I mean, it's really unfortunate. It's nothing like he did. It's not, you know, academic uh, – 
disqualification or anything like that. It was a beautiful touchdown catch. Yeah, it was a beautiful. (laughs) It was a really nice catch. The first one of the season. Some guy pushed him against the pole. Yeah, very unfortunate that he's missing out on this. And frankly, I didn't think we could do it without him and his like kind of that red zone type ability that, that he'll bring and just his ability to catch everything. Uh, Deshaun Watson's may do without him somehow. T- I think it took a little while to adjust. Next year, hopefully he stays healthy, and that is just a, a machine of a, of a player. He he will get back to first. I think he would have been a first-round pick this year. He'll get back there. Well, Peak and Kane then really came in and stepped up to, to fill his role. And again, I listed off those names. We have so much talent. I mean, do all those guys stick around for next year? Do we see a transfer somewhere? I, that, that's going through the back of my mind. I mean, think, I mean, think about it. Think about it. We think about it. We saw a transfer last year. We saw um, the other guy. Can't even think of his name. Guy that kicked off the team at the beginning of the year. The true freshman. I, I think with these type of four-star, high-profile guys, I, I think you could see a transfer. Um, Overton is kind of what worries me. He's the other guy that we're trying to pick up on the recruiting board. You know, four-star. I mean, he's. More or less, he's going to have a hard time getting any playing time next year, Yeah, if not redshirting. Well, and I see Chase redshirting, to be honest with you. I mean, just from the the embarrassment of riches we have in that position. Scott, Hopper, Kane, McLeod, they're not going anywhere. I wonder if Trevion Thompson thinks he may not be getting enough playing time. He decides to transfer. He's been the guy on my mind. Just because he's still young, he's so talented. He's going to be such an asset after... Well, as starting next year, but really after that, his his junior what would be his junior and senior year. But he's the one guy that yeah, it's definitely in my mind. Hopper's already a senior; um, he'd be the other guy. Yeah, and Hunter Renfro, I think, obviously would stay. Shadow Bell, Cornell Powell. He was a former four star. Uh, well, Bell was, and yeah, maybe it, it's it's tough to speculate, but I think you're, you're definitely going to see it. Um, and you keep bringing in this this many good guys. If it's not this year, it might be next. But you'll you'll definitely see a little bit of uh, some some transferring. Well, and even like a drop off in recruiting because recruits see that we have so many guys on our roster. Um, and these are just the guys that we think actually have a potential to be impact players. So speaking of that, let's get into some recruiting news. Cody, what you got for us? Well, definitely a, a lot of a lot of things going on because if you think about it, this is the first week that the coaches have had a chance to go do some in home visits. Um, you know, continue what they've been working on here and there throughout the season, dating back to the, the summer and the spring. And what's really exciting, we talk about the on-the-field success. It is paying dividends off the, or uh, uh, in terms of off the field and recruiting, because we are in the running for the number one and now number two player in rivals rankings. Number one is uh, Rashawn Gary. He's he's built like a defensive tackle. He could be a defensive end. Frankly, he he might even play defensive end if he came to Clemson. He's not. He's definitely not a. Um, he's out of New Jersey, leaning towards Michigan, potentially a strong Michigan lean. However, Brent Venables has an in-home visit this week, and he's been known to work magic. He's the guy that got Christian Wilkins. He's he's a heck of a recruiter, and Clemson has a really good thing to sell right now. The fact that they're number one in the nation going to the playoff. And I find it really hard to believe that we're going to lose out on a guy to Michigan. I know Jim Harbaugh is there. I know the tradition of Michigan, but go to Michigan in the winter. I mean, I don't see how anybody could stand that place. I think I think he walks in. He's probably got a coat on in New Jersey, and you're like, man, aren't you tired of this cold? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's miserable. It's going to be even worse up in Ann Arbor. I think you're exactly right. I think that's a huge thing. It's 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 been a big reason why a lot of recruits have come south. It could be the same for him. Um, if you told me right now, I would say it's probably less than a ten percent chance he comes to Clemson, just because of the the, the stronger stronger likelihood of uh, 
of Michigan. But the fact we are a legitimate contender, he's he's uh, trying to get his last official visits, and Clemson's probably going to make that list. Get him on campus, show him the good weather. You never know what can happen. Well, if not Clemson, better Michigan than a, another team in the ACC or the SEC when they were more likely to compete against uh, during the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. And and then the second guy there is Dexter Lawrence. He's also a defensive tackle, a, tr- a true defensive tackle. We talked about him last week. He's a mauler. He's an, an incredible guy. He's the kind of guy that you win national championships with. I think Christian Wilkins falls into that same category. And the great thing, like I said last week, is they'll be playing right beside, beside each other. Um, Dexter Lawrence is, again, he's between NC State uh, and us at this point. That's what it looks like. And and uh, there's going to be an in-home visit from Dabo this week. And I think I, hopefully come Monday, that's his announcement day, uh, December the 14th. It'll be, a, it'll be all Clemson. So I'll mention this again. Do you think we lose somebody to NC State? This guy's normally no, not a chance. This guy's a homebody, though, and he's, he's been to NC State, I think, like five times this year for games. You spend that much time, get that familiar with the program, it becomes kind of like a home away from home. Sometimes you, I don't want to say sell yourself short, but you, you stay home. You stay with what you know. Uh, I think, yeah. but I'll say he, he did go to Alabama. He made a trip to Alabama, and he made a trip to Ohio State. So maybe those, like, so far away made Clemson feel a little bit more at home would be my, my thought. Because what's Clemson? Maybe, like, four hours from Raleigh? I think so. Yeah, it's yeah, probably about right. about that. I mean, yeah, so that's not – I mean, you could do that drive in no time pretty easily. I understand he's getting familiar with NC State, but he's getting familiar with how average they are. I, I it, think so. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big difference from being NC State and the number one team in the country, the Clemson Tigers. So Yeah, and, and you've seen what Christian Wilkins has been able to do this year, and they can show – like this is our what our freshmen that are talented can come in and, and be a part of. And we can you can do the same thing as Christian Wilkins – play alongside him, and the fact of the matter is we need this guy because Carlos Watkins, we didn't mention him, he could potentially go to the NFL next year, leaving us a little bit bare at that position. So that, that, that could potentially be a huge, huge pickup. Uh, want to talk a little bit, just a quick bit on Miles Dorn. We called him Torn Dorn last year or uh, last week. That's my fault. Miles Dorn ended up choosing UNC. <laughs> his dad's... I thought Torn Dorn was a weird name. <laughs> That's his dad's name. So, okay. Yeah, and his brother's name. <laughs> Well, you can you can write him an email. How's his brother? <laughs> his brother's a, a mediocre basketball player for NC State. So, okay, <laughs> so he might fit right in on the Clemson basketball team. <laughs> we'll take him. Does he? Can he shoot? No. All right. Yeah, we'll take him. Um, anyway, so he's he ended up going to UNC. Uh, I guess just the, the the main thought or uh, the main thought there is that a guy that we had no chance of. We got into it that late. The Clemson brand is that strong to where you can get into the game that that late and almost uh, pull a guy away from you know what is essentially that's his that's a legacy he's a legacy guy there, and then other news around recruiting a lot of our guys are, guys are moving up that's another impact of the number one ranking the Clemson brand guys like Trey Lamar the linebacker that we love so much he's now a top fifty guy T J Chase is now a top fifty guy. Um, he was a, he was a top uh, 100 guy. Now Cordell Powell, our other wide receiver commit, is top 100. He he moved up from around the top 150s. All right, great. Well, I think that about wraps it up for recruiting. Uh, my apologies to the Dorn family. I actually think Torn is a fantastic name. I was just a little insecure because it's hard for me to say that. It's obviously a family name because it's Torn and Torn Jr. So you're such an asshole, Ben. 
All right. Well, uh, on that note, <laughs> talking about them, let's talk about Will Muschamp, who went to South Carolina. <laughs> it's about nice names, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's been a lot of coaching hires, a lot of vacancies and hires, uh, and this is when about the time of the year those things start to shake out around college football. We mentioned this a little bit last week, Will Muschamp to South Carolina. Not much more to say there um, other than he hasn't really impressed anybody, you know. He was 28-21 and 21, uh, in, in four seasons at Florida. Um, he had one good year, 11-2, 7-1 in the SEC in 2012. He lost that year, though, to the Sugar Bowl, uh, in the Sugar Bowl to Louisville. This past year, he was uh, defensive coordinator at Auburn. Um, where he was the highest-paid defensive coordinator in college football, yet Auburn still had the 85th-ranked defense. Do you think it's a good hire? I think it's a safe hire. I don't or, or an all-you-can-do hire? It, the best you actually, can do hire? So you're, you could be right. So looking at it like that, this might be a good hire for them. Um, I, think, I think it's a safe hire. It shows little, um, little imagination or little, like, I, I don't know, they – they went with the, the safest guy, and I, I, I don't see. The, I don't think this sets them up to be success. I don't think it puts them in a position to be successful. Uh, they might get a, their defense might turn it around a little bit, but I, ultimately, I think you get five years with Muschamp, you'll probably have some good defenses. Um, but, but, Auburn but overall, eighty fifth in defense this year. Did they turn it around from the year before? You're talking about one year. I mean, Brent, Brent Venables couldn't turn Clemson around in one year, so I don't think that's fair. Um, that, to use that as your measuring stick. I think Carolina. Two three years, he'll have a, a really good defense there. Well, but Florida, you think he does any better at South Carolina than he does at Florida? No. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not arguing that he's going to be good. I'm saying he'll improve the defense. The offense will probably be more or less what it is now. Well, and that's that's the question. I mean, South Carolina has proven, you know, to get washed up coaches. I mean, maybe Steve Spurrier to a lesser extent because he did have some success there, but you go to Lou Holtz before that. Are they doing the same thing again with Will Muschamp? I don't I mean no. Why don't they get a young up and comer? That's what I'm thinking. Maybe even uh their guy there, their interim guy would have been a better option, Sean Elliott, but I I don't know. They probably frankly they probably just didn't have as many options. And I think that I think Kirby Smart was their guy. He dropped to Georgia, Mark Ritt Went to Miami, the former Memphis coast, Justin Fuente, went to Virginia Tech. Yep. Bronco Mendenhall to Virginia. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of guys on the board there that went to different schools. And then from Muschamp's standpoint, or from South Carolina's standpoint, you must look at Clemson and what Dabo has built and be like, wow, how can I compete with that? You think maybe that's what other coaches were thinking? I, you think other coaches or other schools? Uh, well, other coaches looking at possibly uh, at South Carolina being an attractive job. Oh, no, I don't think Dabo uh, – I mean, you're not talking about like – he's not Nick Saban level yet. I, I would be like almost afraid to go to like a Arkansas now if I – you know, to have to play in the same conference as Nick Saban. But I don't think Dabo uh, kind of strikes that fear in, in, in opponent's eyes. Not yet at least. But that's – I mean, it's a, it's a fair thought. I think – the the stick by which or the uh, kind of the level stick. the measuring stick now that you'll have it uh, at Carolina going up against Dabo and probably a top ten team every year now perennial will uh, maybe that could could put a little bit of uh, resistance into a potential candidate yeah I think the best that Muschamp can hope for now there really is a thirty foot banner um, out in front of the stadium <laughs> um, so yeah Kirby Smart to Georgia he's been the DC at Alabama for the past seven years we talk about a young up and comer. Uh, which actually reminds we'll get to in a second about Bud Foster, Virginia Tech. Uh, this is his first head coaching job. 
Um, and we'll see what happens. It's kind of hard to judge. I generally like the hires of these young guys, especially you're studying, you're under the tutelage of uh, Nick Saban at Alabama. Uh, it will kind of bring into question whether or not an offense develops there at Georgia. They have the recruits. They have that fertile land. So it's if anybody could do it, they could do it there in Georgia. But you just get make the right offensive coordinator hire. You know, Dabo did it. Um, I'll say this: one of my friends from South Carolina before before Muschamp came into the fold, he was very uh, very happy that Kirby Smart got poached by Georgia the last moment. They got rid of Rick. They secured. Kirby Smart saying you can't have a defensive coordinator come in and be your head coach. It just doesn't work. And thank you. And he said thank you, Georgia, for for falling on this uh, on the grenade here and taking Kirby Smart. And then all of a sudden they get Will Muschamp. <laughs> so, well, there you go. And Kirby Smart actually has you know had a good defense this year. Um, That's true. Let's talk about Mark Rip go- Mark Rick going to Miami. Speaking of Georgia, um, listen, he was. 145-51, 15 seasons in Georgia. He was a mainstay there. He had some success, six division titles, two conference titles, but this is kind of a question or a situation of what have you done for me lately? And I think that's why it was kind of a you know topic in Georgia in the recent years of how long he's actually going to stay there. It happened this year where they got rid of him. Um, but going to Miami, this is an interesting hire by Miami. How do you think he fits in with the culture there? That's my. That's exactly my thought when I think of Mark Rick in Miami. Um, not that far apart geographically, and I mean he did play there. I mean he, he's an alumnus there, so I mean that, there's something to be said for that. But he definitely falls more in line with that like Southern, you know, Christian value type culture that I guess would more lend itself to more like a Georgia than like the party more uh, culturally diverse South Beach. South Beach that you know that my what is Miami. And, you know, some of the, I guess, the recruits that might be attracted there. So I, I don't know. I, I, that's, that's a very, very uh, maybe interesting point. Maybe likes the point. beach. We don't know that he doesn't. Who we doesn't like we don't, the beach? We don't know Mark Mick. Yeah, maybe he's a beach bum. I don't think they have a state tax either. Well, you know, there's I'm not, that. I might just be making that up. I'm not sure. Maybe that's Texas. It could be Florida. It might be Florida, too. Anyways, continuing, let's get into the state of Virginia here. Uh, we mentioned Justin Fuente to Virginia Tech. I think this is a great hire. Um, and this begs the question, does Virginia Tech actually return to prominence? I think, I think this could be a, a good step. And then overall what we're seeing here is the ACC did a great job in terms of the coaching hires. I mean, especially Virginia Tech. Um, I think you look at what the, the SEC did. I don't think anything blows you away. I don't see any of those programs becoming better right away because of the hires they made on the ACC however I think all these programs will become better yeah and then Brock Mendenhall at Virginia I mean he's been very successful at a team like BYU and uh just the name Brock Mendenhall sounds like it fits well at Virginia that is a heck of a name I, I must say um going back to Virginia Tech real quick does Bud Foster ever get a head coaching gig because it seemed like when Tommy Bowden was on the outs that he was people you know there was chatter that he may uh, be up for the job uh, at Clemson, and then he was the coach in waiting at Virginia Tech, possibly. Again, we're talking about defensive coordinators here becoming head coaches. Is he just so content there as a defensive coordinator? I think at this point he is. And I, I and can that happen with Britt Bowles? <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I hope they talk on the phone a lot. Brent Venable seems like, at least for now, he is very comfortable and happy with where he is. If so. we can just land his son, wait long enough to get his son into Clemson, 
then we got four more years. He's a sophomore. He's a sophomore in high school. Okay. It could happen. Wait a couple years getting here redshirt in the first year. <laughs> four years. So what's that? Like seven years. Seven years and three championships. Pretty, more of Brent sure. Let's do it. Um, okay, before we wrap up here, real quick, Les Miles uh, sticks with LSU. We'll wrap this in because, you know, Southern Cal had – a uh, possible job opening. They actually ended up going sticking with their uh, Clay Helton, who was their interim. He took over for Steve Sarkeesian. I thought they could have done better, especially that's a, that's a big job uh, at, at SC. Um, and I thought Les Miles would have been a good fit for that. But with all the kind of BS that went on with this LSU uh, possible Les Miles getting the, the can, uh, if you were Miles, would you have come back? Yeah, it's a good point because I mean it's not like he doesn't have opportunities elsewhere. And honestly, and they they really it must have been a big ego shot for him. I I, I would have probably looked elsewhere. And there were certainly jobs available, so he must be very happy there at LSU. Could be either that or he has the incoming number one recruiting class, and he's like maybe it's just better to stay around. And maybe the grass is just delicious. Who knows? <laughs> sure. I will say, Dona. I would say in terms of all these people that are uh, new coaching hires, where they're comparing them to. Dabo Sweeney, that young up-and-comer that's hungry um, without the resume. I, you know, you, you try to see it in, in other scenarios. It hasn't worked out. I would say that Clay Helton hire at USC could very well be a Dabo, you know, second coming of that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think he's been 5-2 and two since taking over. He's done all right. Again, it's the Pac-12. It's not a terribly difficult conference right now. There's a lot of bad teams. Um, yeah. uh, finally wrapping up, Syracuse hires Bowling Green head coach Dino Babers. Another good name. Who? We're, we're winning the name. Yeah, but no one hate him because he's a Syracuse coach. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Well, he, he sounds like a much nicer guy than the other than the guy before. I don't remember his name. Uh, Scott Schaefer. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move into the college football playoff. Something that Dino Babers will never see at Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will do a breakdown of this uh, in future episodes, especially of Oklahoma. But, Cody, I wanted to get your initial thoughts on this matchup with Oklahoma. Obviously, we played them last year. We beat them like 40-6 to in what was it, the Russell Athletic Bowl. Um, so beat them pretty badly with Cole Stout at the helm. This year we got Deshaun Watson. How do you see this matchup? Does, does that clearly favor us, or do you see these as two separate te- different teams? Two, yeah, I would say two separate teams because of the, their improved play. But also because of Baker Mayfield gives them a different, definitely a different dynamic on offense. I do obviously Deshaun Watson gives us a completely different dynamic on offense as compared to Cole Stout. Ever all of the, you'll see all the ESPN analysts, all the all the ESPN brass. There, not all of them, but a good portion of them are actually choosing Oklahoma. Vegas gives Oklahoma two point five points starting out. Good for them. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Good. I, I am too. I'm. I seriously am glad. I, I don't say that as like, hey, whatever, you know. You know, like the like kind of the underdog or the chippy guy. And what does it matter at this point? It do, it doesn't. It, it matters in the fact that Dabo can now sell this back to the team and get them fired up, and they really it really motivates the heck out of them. I'll, I'll say this: I watched Oklahoma on film. I watched them play Baylor. I want to I want to take a look at them because I haven't really seen them this year. And I came away. I was definitely impressed. They're on defense. They're physical. On offense, they're dynamic. But I'll I'll say this too: up front. They haven't faced a team all year like Clemson, not our defensive line. They haven't faced a quarterback all year like Deshaun Watson. And I don't, I don't say that, that we're just going to go in there like SEC style and think like you know that type of mentality and just beat them up. But I, I am saying that those guys are a lot smaller 
um, in, in the Big 12 than what they're going to face up front for Clemson. And it's going to be tough for them to establish oh, and I think a run that game. does kind of relate to our game last year because we've gotten better. Um, maybe yeah. Oklahoma's gotten better, but we were already so far ahead of them. Does that, does that trend you know, keep up? Um, they do have the best-ranked defense in the Big 12, but that's not saying a whole lot. It's 30, number 30 nationwide. They have the number 10-ranked uh, 10 offense in the country, but the best defense they faced all year is Akron. I mean, that's adorable. Akron. That's the, wow. No, yeah, that's unbelievable. And then Tennessee. So the two best defenses they face all year aren't even in their conference. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the numbers tell a lot here, but at the same time, I don't like to go a lot off numbers. Uh, you, you really comes down to the play on the field. So I think what's ultimately going to happen is the rest is going to favor us so much more than it is them. Uh, just to get the legs back under our guys on the defense. I expect our offense is still going to be clicking on all cylinders and get better, uh, given the extra time to prepare. So I still very feel very, very confident about this game. I, I do too. I feel better about this game than I do the North Carolina game. And I can I say that with a lot of confidence. I, if we played Alabama, I, I don't know if I'd feel so good. I think they're a better team than Oklahoma. After watching Oklahoma play, though, they just don't match up with us in terms of athleticism, talent, and size. And they could absolutely beat us. It's they're a darn good team, but I don't I don't think they will. I feel pretty good about that matchup. Yeah, I do too. Um, so the other game, real quick, Alabama versus Michigan State. Were you surprised to see Sparty jump Oklahoma? Uh, no, I mean there's some reasons behind it. Both probably. Uh, yeah, for like location uh, in terms of giving, I think that the travel was a reason, but also just the matchup uh, in terms of ratings. I'm sure like you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. And I think the matchup they didn't want, like in a worst case scenario would be Clemson and Michigan state in a championship game. And um, I, I think they're in a position now where they, they can get the best, best of both worlds with the, the first matchups, but also potentially get an Oklahoma Alabama matchup, which would just go off the, the off the scale in terms of ratings, but the Clemson Oklahoma matchup or uh, Clemson Alabama matchup would all, would also be just unbelievable too. But you can still get Clemson and Michigan State in the national title game. The way to avoid that would have been to keep Michigan State at number four and had Clemson versus Michigan State in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I think I guess like the logic would be I think that game would have gotten very poor ratings and with a very small likelihood of them actually going on to the, the national championship plan. Well, other. it depends. If, I mean, I think Michigan State probably has a big fan base. I mean, maybe not nationwide. People are going to tune in to watch that. But if you're Clemson, you possibly have the Heisman Trophy winner. You're the number one team in the country. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I buy into all the conspiracy theories regarding that. I, I think Michigan. I don't think it's conspiracy. I think it's just about money, and I think that's it motivates well, and, and, it motivates decisions. And that's very possible because money rules life, essentially. But I can see a scenario where it's legit. The Michigan State jump Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't play a title game. Oklahoma lost to Texas. Uh, Michigan State had just beaten an undefeated Iowa team. So to me. It's legitimate. I have, you know, it doesn't bother me one bit that that happened. I don't care if we play Michigan State or Oklahoma because at the end of the day, we have to be the best team in the country. Looking at, yeah, looking at it like that, absolutely. I don't disagree with that. And going back to your original question, just them jumping, uh, jumping over Oklahoma, it's deserved. They they have a really good resume and they are a good team. And they're thinking 9.5 underdog to Alabama. I wouldn't be surprised to see them punch Alabama in in the mouth and be like, wow, who are these guys? Don't think they'll win, but you never know. What was Ohio State to 
to Alabama last year. It was something similar. Was it double digits? Or I don't know. It was, it was right there. Nobody at. gave them a chance either, so I throw my hands up in the air. I don't know what to expect anymore. Very true. Um, uh, we talked about Deshaun Watson uh, going uh, to New York on Saturday as a Heisman finalist. He will be joining uh, Alabama's running back Derrick Henry and Stanford running back Christian McCaffrey. Um, I guess first off, are you surprised not to see more than three guys and no Hunter Mayfield or Baker Mayfield, sorry, uh, no Leonard from net from LSU or Dalvin cook? I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised because I think when you look at Deshaun Watson, Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey, they're in a tier above those other guys. And it's, it's, I think it's pretty substantial. Maybe Baker Mayfield could have gotten there. He, if you look at his numbers, they're really good. He playing for a top, top four team. But um, really, I mean, you, you got three guys. That, and Deshaun Watson, as good as he's been, man, he got unfo- he got kind of unlucky playing in a year where there's been so so many good players having historically good years. Well, but here's the uh, the upside for Deshaun Watson is I think only once out of the last ten years has a non quarterback won the Heisman Trophy, um, and I th- that was Mark Ingram, I think, from Alabama. Um, uh, Baker Mayfield, I think you could throw him in there. I think having no conference championship game really hurt him. Uh, you look at completion percentage, I think he was only one percentage point less than Deshaun Watson. He had about, uh, I don't know, 150 yards less than Deshaun Watson passing on the year, but he did have five more TDs and he had six less interceptions. Uh, his rushing numbers weren't the same. He had about half the rushing yards as Deshaun Watson. So I guess if you can compare the numbers and the fact that the big 12 doesn't have any good defenses to speak of um then that you know maybe that rules him out right there so we shouldn't even be talking about him Leonard Fournette obviously three losses in a row that really hurt him and you know he had less overall yards than uh Henry or McCaffrey he did have a good uh, yard per carry of 6.4 and uh 18 TDs on the year um he's a little bit more dynamic than than Henry as in he catches uh, he catches more passes a little bit more, but that's where McCaffrey really has the upper hand over all of them. Is that, you know, he's got 41 receptions on the year as compared to Derrick Henry's 10 and Leonard Fournette's 18, and I think that's why a lot of people put McCaffrey up there as the, as the front runner for the Heisman finalist, just because he is more well rounded as a running back. Well, I, I think, well, I, I tend to lean more to ESPN and not because, I mean, I do like ESPN uh, because even though some of them, some of the guys, you know, are motivated, you know, by whatever, like the SEC or whatever brand, I think for the most part, all of them have a different agenda, uh, whatever that is. And I, I, but but a lot of those guys are voters too. So I, I do give, like, they, there is some weight there. And I think Derrick Henry is the front runner. See, I don't think so because, again, I mean, you're running behind Alabama's offensive line, and when you get as many carries as he does, I mean, he got 44 carries, I think, in, in the, the Florida game of the SEC championship and only had two more yards than Wayne Gallman, who had almost half as many carries as he did. So, of course, you're going to rack up all those yards. Um, when we talk about well-rounded, you look at Deshaun Watson, who has the passing numbers and he has the rushing numbers in addition to his, you know, uh, 3,500 passing yards. He has 887 rushing yards uh, and 11 touchdowns rushing for 5.4 yards a carry. I mean, as a quarterback, he is almost on par with Henry McCaffrey in yards per carry. Yeah, it, he's had a terrific season. I think when you look at Deshaun Watson, it's the beginning of the season when he was having such an issue. It seemed like getting getting into a rhythm. Uh, 
few interceptions there. Uh, he wasn't running. You notice we he ran the ball a little bit at the beginning, but it wasn't the same now. They seemed like they've mastered that zone read. They know how to attack disease. Well, he defenses. was shaking off injury. I mean, he was rusty. Think about that. I mean, I, I, I know absolutely. That's exactly what it was, and I think that's that's held him back that first four or five games when he was developing the chemistry. He's held back, and he's still put up these numbers. Yeah. So he was. Let me do the math. 113 yards away from breaking a thousand rushing, coming into the season rusty and a slow start. I mean, think about that. And then he's the probably the best offensive player on the number one team, the only undefeated team in the country. I think he's got a spectacular shot at winning this thing. I, I think I think he should, he should have a spectacular shot. I don't think he will, he'll win it, though. I think there's too much consensus that goes on with the media. I think they've kind of formed their opinion altogether. Uh, and then almost the way they do with rankings in, in football. It's like Clemson's number one. Well, if they win this next week, they'll be number one. Well, I think Derrick Henry, for whatever reason, was considered number one. And McCaffrey and Deshaun Watson going into the last week or even two weeks had to do something to leapfrog them. And Derrick Henry put up really good performances. So, therefore, he's... Well, yeah. he was the, the SEC single season. He set the SEC single season rushing record, but you're talking about what have you done for me lately. McCaffrey had 461 all-purpose yards and three touchdowns in the Pac-12 uh, Pac title game. Does that not jump him above Henry? It was close. I, mean, I think Henry had more of a substantial lead. I mean, this is all like just like speculation and, and, and listening to what the media were saying at that time. McCaffrey closed the margin. I don't think he he overtook Henry though. Henry had a good game. He had a ton of carries, yeah, but he, he did it against probably the best team, the uh, best defense. Excuse me, in the nation in Florida. Yeah, that that Florida defense that scores two against Florida State, and that's all they got. Yeah, Florida's a really formidable team. I think that's just, their offense is horrible. Yeah, their think, defense is better than Clemson's. Yeah, I, I think they have a good defense by way of really bad SEC offenses. I mean, what quarterbacks have they faced all year? I mean, they got. They got gashed by Florida State when they really had to play a, a, a weak little ACC team. So, I, I I think they're a good defense. I think they're a really good defense. Um, it, you're right. SEC offenses are overrated. I'll, I'll agree with that. They're a heck of a defense, and, and Derrick Henry did a pretty good job against them. Well, I think Dalvin Cook did even better against Florida than Henry did. I think the thing that, that honestly, I think from what I've seen from these running backs is Dalvin Cook is the best running back in the country. He gets dinged a little bit because he missed some time uh, due to industry uh, injury, but he had 7.1 yards of carry and, and 18 TDs on over 100 less carries than Derrick Henry, who had 23 TDs on the year. I think he could have had a shot. Unfortunately, the injury bug hit him, and, of course, two losses put you out of there. I talked to Leonard Fournette, whose LSU team has three losses. Um, well, usage, too. You look at usage, and like some, you could say, well, he did it on less. But also Derrick Henry, just his durability, and I hate to say that, but it, it does go. It does say, I mean, it says something. He, if you look, watch that Auburn game, he was relentless. He forty plus carries. He just wore them down. He's the reason they won that game. He's the reason they won the, they won the um, Florida game. So another running back we're not really talking about a lot, Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State, and I said this when it happened after he questioned the coaching staff after their loss to Michigan State. He's put up really great numbers all year. You know, over almost 1,700 yards rushing, 6.4 yards of carry, 19 TDs. Um, yeah, he gets no mention. Do you think that you know that probably hurt him? Well, I don't think he had. I don't think he's in the same ballpark as Henry McCaffrey or even you know Deshaun Watson. So it just comes down to talent. 
I think so. I think, well, maybe a little bit production. Uh, and I don't disagree with that. It's just a lot of people are talking about him. Um, and, you know, I would tend to agree with you that it, it's not just – I think the moment that he kind of talked back against the coaches put him completely out of the conversation. But that's not to say he really had a chance to begin with. Yeah, I mean, he, I'd say he had definitely had a chance. I think a little bit was uh, – the team did well. Uh, I just don't think altogether all it was a, a spectacular of a season as, as Henry – or McCaffrey, and then Deshaun Watson playing the, the most important position on the field you, obviously lends itself to that that award. Well, and it's interesting that you say that and that what I mentioned earlier that I think nine out of the last ten years a quarterback has has won this. A majority of, of the front runners for the Heisman Trophy this year are running backs. I think that really speaks to the level of play at the quarterback position in college football. Yeah, we'll say that Deshaun Watson will be the number one pick most likely in the draft next year, um, I think he is the best quarterback in the nation. I like how Dabo, he didn't, I don't think he threw it out at first, but you know, you hear him in interviews like, I, I don't have just the best quarterback in the, in the country, I have the best player in the country. Um, and looking at those 11 interceptions, I think that 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 matters. That hurts, yeah. I, I think if, if, again, those first five games, you don't throw those interceptions, he probably, he probably ends up throwing touchdowns or running for touchdowns. So th- those hurt a little bit. So speaking of quarterbacks, and I, I think this will really point to how perception, number one, who you play for and who you play against really matters. Uh, quarterback Matt Johnson from Bowling Green, uh, they finished 10-3 and on the year. They were the MAC champions. They won at Maryland, so they do have a big win on their schedule. 68.8 completion percentage. That's less than 1% less than Deshaun Watson. He had 4,700 yards passing, which is almost 1,200 more than Deshaun Watson. 43 TDs, eight interceptions. That's 13 more TDs and three less interceptions than Watson. Those are some gaudy numbers. He doesn't even get a mention. That's that's unbelievable. And see, I don't even hardly I don't know about this guy. I think this is the first time I've heard about him. So well, and it's the MAC. I mean, the MAC conference is a conference that is you know they're a mid major if you're you know comparing it to basketball terms. Uh, but they have teams win against the Power Five every single year. It's not like they were a bad team. Again, they were 10-3. and three. If you look at their losses, I think they lost to Toledo maybe in conference, and then they had another loss, I think, to Memphis, and then somebody else in the Power Five, but then they had that win at Maryland. I mean, they had a damn good season. He put up some fantastic yards. I don't know anything about him, but this is like a Ben Roethlisberger type of situation where I wonder if he's not going to get out of the acc- accolades, but does he go to, into the NFL one day? It could be. I have to see him on film, but that, yeah, that's that's really impressive. And I think you make a good point about the MAC. I don't think Syracuse, Wake Forest, probably not even Boston College could win the MAC. So that should go. That should that should say something uh, in terms of how good they are and really how good that like bottom tier of the of the ACC is. So yeah, and again, we haven't like you said seen him on film. I mean, the kid could be like five six and just some <laughs> crazy accurate passer to have some fantastic wide receiver. Who knows what's going to happen with him? But it just really jumps out at you, the, the numbers that he's put up. And, again, because of who you play for, what conference you play in, and who you play against, not even a mention for the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> um, so to wrap this up, uh, the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony will take place in New York City uh, on this Saturday. I believe it's at 8 Eastern. Is that correct? I think so. Well, either way, check your local TV listings. Deshaun Watson will be there. This is very exciting for Clemson fans. This is the first time I've really had to pay a lot of attention to the Heisman Trophy uh, presentation, aside from when C.J. Spiller uh, was, the, I guess, sixth 
in the voting a few years ago and didn't make it to New York. But um, really excited about this. Uh, wish all the best for Deshaun Watson. We're really pulling for him. It's going to be great to see him there and representing Clemson University. And you know what? If not this year, next year. He's got to be the front runner going into the next year for sure. Okay, so we're going to close out this episode today with some quick takes. Uh, we'll start off with a rumor that's been circulating. We don't really like to talk a lot about rumors until they actually uh, become real things, but some stuff was going around on Twitter today about Auburn possibly trying to get out of our game next year. Uh, what does that say about Auburn? I think it's smart on their part. It really stinks for us. I mean, they, the SEC West, you know, say what you want about it. It is, it is pretty tough. Uh, Gus Malzahn has probably his back against the wall at Auburn, probably approaching the hot seat if he has another year like he did last year. Um, so you're already playing Alabama, you're already playing LSU, you're already playing Ole Miss, and now you got to play a top, what's probably will be a top five team maybe the next two years in, in Clemson. Uh, so yeah, to get out of it's not such a bad thing for him, not a not a bad uh, not a bad plan. It's, again, stinks for us because we need that that added level of competition in our schedule well and to pull something well again this is speculation so i don't know how much we should really be talking about it right now but if it did happen i mean it does put us in a bad situation uh in regards to trying to find somebody to fill that spot on the schedule next year i think our only uh, you know they were our big out of conference game they would have replaced notre dame from this year and then plus south carolina which is they're not going to be any good next year not to say auburn was going to be any good next year because they weren't any good this year but Still, replacing somebody at the last minute is going to be tough. Again, speculation. We'll see what happens. If it does happen, we'll talk more about that later. Um, going back to Deshaun Watson real quick, he's going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated for the second time this season. Um, there was kind of some worry after his first one. The, the Sports Illustrated cover jinx you know, didn't turn out to be that way. But, man, this kid's a superstar. I don't think the, the publicity gets to his head. That's a great thing. I do worry about that SI jinx. And hopefully it's not. It hasn't been an issue so far. I'll say we talked about him being must see TV. Just a highly marketable guy, probably because he's a quarterback, and you know, for you know the best team in the nation. But uh, that's really holding true. And next year, man, he's going to be on a lot of magazine covers. Uh, this is only the beginning. Yeah, and I think the only thing with the jinx we have to worry about is a possible injury. Um, <laughs> And he's done well to weather that this year. He's looked fantastic again. And Tully and I talked about this last time, about every time he goes down and reaches for his sock to pull it up, it scares the hell out of us. Uh, can we invest in can we just tape the socks to his knee or something just so we don't get a heart attack every time he does that? Yeah, killing our buzz, man. Or, or get some better elastic in there. Um, uh, some quick news on the Big 12. Uh, they came out today and said they're going to require one out-of-conference game against the Power Five or Notre Dame uh, for each team uh, when making their schedules in future seasons, and they also can't schedule two FCS schools. I, I personally think it should be an NCAA rule that you can't schedule two FCS schools. That's really bad for the FCS schools, though. You have to think about it. They make a lot of money off these games. Um, so I, But the only teams that are scheduling two FCS schools are generally not top-tier um, FBS teams. So how much money are they really they're getting the same money that Florida State or Alabama or Clemson or Florida or somebody like that would give them? Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I, frankly, I don't really care that much about it because it's not the ACC and it's not Clemson. But to preserve, I guess, to preserve the, the quality of the product – of what the of what FBS football is, 
I just don't think you should allow two FCS schools on the, on the on the schedule. Well, I think where it's good is we get to see different conferences play one another, and it gives us that. Uh, you know, we talk about the transitive property. It gives lets us compare mutual opponents, and that's always good. So we can really not necessarily expose, uh, I guess, expose bias uh, biases. What's the word? You're trying to pluralize biases. Can you do biases? I don't know. Let's get a dictionary. We'll we'll do that later. At <laughs> um, that, the comments section, how to pronounce biases. Anyway, so you, you could take those out of the equation because you can you can really um, I guess uncover like the weakness that was the SEC West in 2014, for example. Well, and the Big Twelve has to do something. I mean, it's in question with them not having uh, 12 teams to get a conference championship game. It's going to be in question every single year. If there's any doubt, and they don't get to play that last game, uh, so I think they do have to strengthen their schedule. I would question the fact. Uh, or their method this year of backloading their schedule in conference because I think ultimately that's going to hurt them because teams are going to beat each other up, so you need to spread those out throughout the year. Um, but this move makes sense to me. Um, and finally, uh, Clemson men's soccer. We'll finish on this. Our soccer team's in the Final Four. We play Syracuse uh, this Friday at 6 p.m. in Kansas City. If you're a Tiger in the Midwest or at least somewhere close to Kansas City, I encourage you to go there. Uh, I think they're playing at uh, Sporting Casey's Stadium. It's a really great facility. Um, I lived out in Kansas for a while. I actually got to go see us in the uh, in Omaha in uh, in the College World Series. So again, uh, and actually saw us in Kansas City when our basketball team made the NCAA tournament. Um, if you get the opportunity, go out there support our team. It's great to see men's soccer uh, doing so well. Again, they're one of the four major sports that speaks to our strength. Uh, of our athletic department and our sports programs. So really pulling for those guys. The victor will play the winner of Stanford versus Akron on Sunday at 3 p.m. I know I'll be watching that if we make it to the final. Um, Cody, any thoughts on soccer? No, I no, no thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm go Tigers. That's I'm rooting for them, but no thoughts, no. As much as I expected from you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on that note... Uh, Like Cody said, go the men's soccer team. We're looking forward to watching you guys play. Um, We'll be back here in the coming weeks. Uh, We're going to start breaking down some stuff on the Oklahoma game and start looking, like I mentioned, at Tigers in the NFL and hopefully getting some interviews lined up. Um, Final thoughts? Go ahead. I was going to say some exciting recruiting updates. Hopefully will unfold in the next couple weeks. Yeah, because, again, as, as soon as football season's over, like we turn directly into recruiting. And then really spring practice in the spring game. So football is a thing that never ends. It's something that we're continuing to cover um, year-round in addition to basketball and baseball and every other thing that has to do with Clemson athletics. Um, So that being said, if you have an iPhone, subscribe to us within the podcast app. You can search for podcasts or Clemson. On an Android, you can find us on any number of apps, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, etc. On SoundCloud, it's Clemson Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on there. And then also, of course, ClemsonPodcast.com has links to everything. It's easy to find us there. And as we mentioned uh, leading into the program, ShakingTheSouthland.com. Much appreciation for those guys for partnering with us this year. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. And finally, go Tigers.